0: Hello there and welcome to episode 18 of the Hawthorns Debate Club. My name is Jamie Clay and I am joined every week by two gentlemen to have a few conversations and discussions about West Bromwich Albion. So let me start by saying a warm hello to my good friend Alex Collins. Hello. And hello to my little brovert Joe Clay. Hello. So I think it's fair to say we somewhat overshot our predictions last week. Perhaps we're a little bit excited perhaps a little bit dreamy-eyed over Val but after prophesying a pair of glorious thrashings sprinkled with hundreds and thousands of goals, the last week has thrown up two pretty underwhelming performances that seem to have left a bit of a panicky taste in the mouths of many of the Albion faithful. And as of any momentary blip, the inevitable happened. Albion social media set itself on fire. It was completely ablaze last night. People running around in meltdown mode, shouting that the wheels have fallen off or that we've been found out or even that foul ball is just sexy, pureless ball. But tonight, together, we're all going to take a deep breath and relax. Because the Hawthorne's Debate Club, as always, is your safe space. So once again, let's set the mood. Maybe dim the lights, light a few candles, grab a blanket or something fleecy, perhaps. Perhaps you want to snuggle up with a loved one. And let's allow the positive feelings to flow. But before we get to that juicy, calming podcast goodness, let me say a huge thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast. If you're listening for the first time or coming back, once again, all we ask is that you love us and tell everyone about the podcast. We encourage you, as always, to engineer situations in your life, to get new people to listen to the podcast Wbart set in a new bar this week for our listeners by using the podcast as soothing background noise to lolly's baby daughter to sleep. This is the kind of dedication we demand and encourage here at the Hawthorns Debate Club. So on today's podcast, we will be trying to bring some light out of the darkness of the Derby and Millwall game, as well as discussing all the other tidbits you've come to expect from us here on the podcast. So we're going to start with last night's game, which finished nil-nil against Derby which left a lot of neutrals watching on Sky Sports very disappointed but also large swathes of the Albion crowd disappointed too. So many people leaving the ground were very disheartened and upset and at halftime and at full time there were some boos. A lot of people were frustrated by the nature of performance and I think that tacked onto the back of perhaps the previous two performances against Peterborough and Millwall where we've struggled to really dominate in the way we've seen in other games and I think a lot of people allowed their frustrations to spill over but 64% possession much more possession than we're used to seeing in games 25 shots nine of them on target and only four shots against us I mean the stats show again that seems pretty one-sided and yet still it's difficult not to see this as a game where Albion have dropped points rather than anything else but this is a podcast where we're spreading positivity today. And so we're going to look at the positives of this game. Joe, what did you
1: make of the overarching plot of this game?
2: It was a game of two halves.
1: Yeah, I thought Derby played awesome. Jagielka and Curtis Davis at the back, two old hands. You know, they were throwing themselves in front of everything and the goalkeeper, you know, man of, man of the match performance. I thought that our guys played really well too. There was a lot of energy, obviously a lot of chances being created, as Jamie mentions. It was an electric game, really. I'm absolutely baffled how we haven't managed to score. If it wasn't for some absolute
0: heroics in the Derby goal and perhaps finishing that wasn't completely clinical, if we're totally honest. Realistically, I think if that game's Played another 99 times. I think we do probably go on to win it. However, it did finish nil nil, and we want to get through all of the incidents and talking points today. And as I said, we're going to try and spin positive on this because I think social media and kind of talking about football in general seems to promote kind of extreme, polarizing, emotional conversation. And like I said last night, social media was a bit of a hot mess when discussing this game and and yeah it was disappointing being there and there was frustrating aspects to this game especially with the number of chances we created and seemed to as I said not finish and ultimately we were expecting to beat Derby as our predictions I think me and Alex predicted like five or six goals in this game Um, which wasn't quite right. I haven't got my facts and figures in front of me, but I don't think we scored five or six goals in this game. Who stood out for you in this game, apart from the Derby goalkeeper?
2: For me, not many players at the first half stood out, but when Hugo came on, I think he changed the game. He gave us a focal point up front. He really worked well with Dean Garner through the second half. Not so much Matty Phillips, but he really down that left-hand side. He really played it well, and Dean Garner... Again, was back to probably the best game we've seen him since he came to the Albion. So I think Hugo and Dean Garner were my favourite players on the pitch. You can't really take anything from the defence because they had no shots on target. They had four shots in the game and Sam Johnson didn't have anything to do.
0: Bit of a spectator day for uh, Sam Johnson.
1: Yeah, I think we're victims of our own success in a way because teams are coming to the Hawthorns and they're happy for the draw, which is it's kind of a good thing in a way because it means that we're unlikely to lose. But on the bad side, it means that it could drop two points. Some games just leave with one point. But for me, I agree with Joe. I think when Hugel came on and Phillips, they completely changed the dynamic. Hugel controlling the ball up top and allowing players like Phillips and Dean Garner, and even Townsend and uh, Furlong's like on the wings, to impact the game more. I thought Furlong had a, a really good game. He's too good for the championship, so I, I think we'll be lucky to keep hold of him. Dean Garner showed, you know, that he is gifted. Some of the things he was doing, some of the technique and skills he was pulling off, not many players can do that. One thing I did notice with Dean Garner is that he didn't look quite fit towards the end of the game like he was lagging and so did a few of the other players i don't know if that was because it was the second game in you know is it five days four days just doing maths again we don't like doing maths do we on the whole strong
0: strong points do not include mathematics
1: (laughs) but yeah i think i think overall it's just absolutely amazing that we didn't score (laughs) I totally agree. The players
0: that stood out for me in this game were definitely Hugo. And I thought, when he come on, he has one of those abilities that no matter where the ball seems to come at him from, whether it's in the sky, if it's powered at him at chest height, he seems to be able to control it on his chest, on his shoulder, and bring it down in such a way to then play the ball off into kind of really dangerous positions. And I think that was one of the things that was really obviously lacking in the first half, even with Callum Robinson. And I think Callum Robinson, for me, has been our player of the season season so far in terms of what he brought in those first few games and how notable an absence he was in the games following that and yet he came back in yesterday and nothing seemed to quite stick up front and obviously what ended up happening in the first half was you saw a lot of this long ball into the channels and long ball into the, the front man whether that be Carlin Grant or Dean Garner or, or predominantly Callum Robinson and the ball kind of either drifting over them or the defender easily cleaning up or them controlling it and but not having the ability then to bring it in someone else into play. But I think that totally changed when Hugo came on. He really just spearheaded our attack and really gave us a an outlet for that long ball rather than it just being hoofed up into space. And I think that was a, one of the points of frustration that so many people felt in the first half. And there's been a few comments made about similarities to Pulis Ball that came up on the Liquidator podcast. One of their kind of more controversial quotes from the episode, no doubt, where they described it as not too dissimilar to Pulis' ball and the fact that if it was Tony Pulis, I believe that they'd be crying out for his head. But for me, there is a, a little bit of a worrying part when when foul ball doesn't click, when there isn't the long ball followed by the press, it can look a bit Sunday league very quickly. And that was definitely the case in the Millwall game. And I, and I it was a little bit the case in this first half, but bringing on Hugel was definitely a big shift in gear for me.
2: If you remember Slaven Bilic's last game where we drew against Man City and we put everyone behind the ball, that's what Derby did to us. It is hard to score. You know, when Chelsea won the Champions League, that's all they did, didn't they? Remember that time when Torres, the famous Gary Neville... Torres! Oh. <laughs> oh. You know, it is hard to score and that's what people are going to do to us.
0: Torres! <laughs>
2: Especially Derby. The Derby had, before the season started, I think they had 12 professional football players or something stupid like that. They haven't got the team. They just put everyone behind the ball against us and it is hard to score. I know we've played a bit of long ball. It was a bit direct in the first half, but the second half, We went back to that valve ball. We played on the floor and we still couldn't break them down. Yeah, we are probably lacking that number nine with that clinical finishing, but it happens. Teams are going to do that. We're one of the Man City, the Liverpool, the Man United of the championship at the moment and people are going to set up just to stop us and get that draw.
0: Yeah, I was going to say there were elements during the first half even where we did get the ball down and play some really good football, really incisive, progressive, attacking football. But as you say, for all of the kind of banter that was going around the the chanting about Wayne Rooney and he's kind of almost like a punchline really Wayne Rooney he's really done a good job at Derby the expectation surrounding Derby before the season started that they were gonna set records for how many points they were gonna get this season as in not many at all and and yet in spite of that he's really doing a good job there And and I think ultimately Derby came with a game plan as Alex said to kind of frustrate us sit deep, get really organised defensive unit and kind of force Albion to play through a lot of bodies, especially considering our kind of aerial threat seemed to be matched by Jagielka and Davis. and with the absence of Dara O'Shea and Matt Clark, I think we struggled in that area. But you do have to give credit to Derby and just say it wasn't just Albion being woeful. They executed on the plan
1: You know, the best thing for me is that we're going to adapt. The more teams that play like that against us, the better we'll get at playing those types of teams. How many games has uh, Ishmael been managing? Now? It must be about you know seven competitive games. He's still trying to work out his first 11. And once we've got that sort of team cohesiveness, I really do think we'll be able to adapt to these type of games. And these teams will be shutting up shop. So we won't be conceding many, but then hopefully we'll be able to score freely. And that I think that's how you create dominance.
2: And plus, I think people need to get off this Tony Poulis or whatever... And this negativity. He hasn't lost.
1: Pulis should <laughs> okay. even be said in the same breath yeah. as Ishmael, in my opinion. Chalk and cheese. I mean, Pulis was six or seven defenders on the pitch, shutting up shop, lot like parking the bus like Derby. Whereas Ishmael's the opposite. It's if anything, it's playing like everyone attacker, everyone gun go and everyone sort of charging the ball down, rather than focusing on the positions of players. They're so different, so wide apart. It's probably the other side of the spectrum, if anything, I would say.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think this is just cautious, attritional football, where there's no intention of looking to impose your will on the game. You're looking to react to what the other team are doing constantly and nullify their plan rather than execute your own plan and whereas i think valerian ishmael comes into every game with a plan to tear strips out of the other team pulis ball did win out yesterday in the end because derby were playing that way they were the ones looking to nullify can i ask you guys a question is that okay no right moving on then Now, bear in mind everything I've just said and not to cause panic or alarm, and that's not what we're about. So, you know, just allow the kind of soothing ocean waves to lap on the shore. The dolphin sounds, or is it dolphin sounds? No, they're, they're quite abrasive on it. The whale Whales. sounds. Whales, that's Whales. right. Whales. Not dolphins, dolphins that's like lot. that crazy clicking sound, it's- Yeah. <laughs> Everyone try to They're like a kind oh. of a more A forward-in-the-mouth predator
1: is how I'd describe it. Can you add whale music on in the background?
0: All dolphins. For dolphins, (laughs) like really kind of grating against the relaxation. But nevertheless, no matter how kind of abrasive the aquatic noises might appear right now, let me ask you a question, guys. Watching the, okay, let's say the Peterborough, Millwall and Derby game, we will talk about the Millwall game a little bit in a moment. Do you feel like foul ball isn't as heart attack as it was originally because I watched that game yesterday and there was some conversation about how we're not able to press with the same level of intensity because a lot of teams are just getting rid of the ball from their back line as quickly as possible so that the pressing can't happen but I'm in the games it just feels like there's the intensity has dropped it's not as aggressive and manic as it was or frantic as it was initially is that just me
2: I kind of agree with you there, but I think we're missing Shea, and I always say shea has got a brilliant, you know, long ball. If you want to do long ball, direct ball, or vowel ball, whatever you want to call it, three times out of five, he's going to get it to Callum Robinson, who's up front, or <laughs>
0: three times, <laughs> out of <five>. six, <laughs> just over half the time. <laughs>
2: I saw Chris Lepowski did say something on Twitter against uh, Derby against Birmingham. Birmingham beat him basically because Derby played out of the back. But they didn't play out of the back yesterday, did they? So maybe it has been figured out a bit. And that's why the intensity looks like it's dropped. And the intensity is there. But he will adapt. He's a progressive manager. You know, he will adapt with the players we've got. And he might go like like we did in the second half where we played through Mawats. Where we played it out onto the wings.
1: I don't think it's a black and white answer I think there are a number of factors that might be contributing for example I think fatigue and then teams finding out our style of play and playing against it by shutting up shop and then you've also got made a few new signings recently so we're still almost setting up our, our shop and figuring out what our best 11 is and you know getting them accustomed to the style of play
0: let me ask you another question then. There was a number of chances to fail that different players, some of them that stood out the semi-Ajaye chance in the first half. Uh, there's a chance for Dean Garner in the second, the uh, diving header from Darnell Furlong, Kyle Bartley had a chance straight at the keeper at the end. Another kind of strangely lofted chip finish from Darnell Furlong and what looked like an open goal. I want to ask you a question. Now, I know that both of you are clinical attacking players. I'd just like to ask you, which one of those chances do you think you could have finished? I'm
2: going with a diving header. Oh, I love a diving header, yeah. You know, you need to pile that into the ground. He just basically went straight out. It is Darnell Furlong. He is a right wing back, so he's not known for his diving headers. But just to go on that Darnell Furlong, every chance that we had seemed to fall to Darnell Furlong. <laughs> Never fell to, you know, like Carl and Gran. would probably be the best one on the edge of the box that he wanted to fall to.
1: To be honest with you, I don't think I would have scored any of the uh, goals, and I'll tell you why. I think Jag cast a spell on, on their goal. I think some kind of Warcraft <laughs> was going on. <laughs>
0: I think ultimately, Alex, knowing your pedigree as a player and having played in many teams with you throughout time, I think you're being unnecessarily modest there. I think you would have bagged four or five goals in that game had any of those chances fallen to you. You'd have been setting championship records for the amount of goals scored in a single game. You can find well, that compilation of Alex's goals
1: on YouTube. Just go ahead and look it up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I did actually score a scream of the once, didn't I, from the halfway line, do you remember? I do remember it. Best goal ever. I don't like to blow my own trumpet, but there you go. The opposition school were cheering me, it was that good.
0: First start for Adam Reach, what did you make of his performance? I have to say, I'd been underwhelmed in previous games, but I think he held his own in this game.
2: Like the whole game, it was a game of two hours. And I think it was for him. I think the second half, he was much better. His crossing was much better. He beat the first man. I think the first half, he struggled to beat the first man. I think his confidence was low. And his confidence probably will be, low. He was in a relegated squad last year. So he's he's got to get his confidence, got to get his fitness. I think he played well in the second half. He looked like he's getting back to that, like he
1: was an attacking player. I much prefer him as an attacking prospect than a defensive one. I think he has got a good left foot. There were a few tasty crosses that I saw him put in. This is a
0: trivia question now. We all know that Alex is a a Wikipedia sorcerer of some description. He has an encyclopedic knowledge of all things football, but he's also got, as you know, a speciality. Like if you had a mastermind speciality, it would be player heights. And before the podcast, we worked out there's actually not just exclusively player heights, providing they're six foot one, but also players' ages. So I'm going to ask you, who do you think is older I'll give you have your two players, and you tell them which one you think is older. Okay, and then perhaps the gap between them in age. Ready?
1: Adam Reach or Connor Townsend? Oh, that is a good question. I think it's. Oh, I want to say Townsend is older because I think it's a trick question. Oh, I was just about. I reckon Reach is thirty, and Townsend's twenty-eight.
0: Townsend is twenty-eight, and Adam Reach is Joe. Twenty-nine. Twenty-eight as well. How much oh. of an age difference do you think there is between them? Two months. Same day. <laughs> Three <laughs> hours. <laughs> <laughs> they actually I think born nearly seconds apart. No, um, there's a month between them and Adam Reach is older than Connor Townsend, which is crazy to me. Connor Townsend looks about 19 and Adam Reach looks about 38. And that's no disrespect to either of them. But, well, there you go. So moving out of the quiz portion of the podcast there, Albion are still top at the end of this game on 15 points. Fulham are presently playing while we're actually recording the podcast. And I believe they're currently top, but we were top at the end of this game and we're still unbeaten. So usual listeners to the podcast will realise and remember that we actually have complete access to a time machine. And what we're going to do now is step in once more, and set our coordinates for a time before. And so what we're happening now, we're traveling back in time together from Wednesday evening when we're recording this or whenever you're listening this, all the way back to Saturday when Albion played against Millwall. The game finished one all. A kind of ugly, bitty game. Not much in the way of sexy, attractive football. Possession was much more balanced than in uh, the more recent games. Far fewer shots with us, just making eleven shots with two on target. And it has to be said, Millwall, given as good as they got in the game, and it's a game for me that never really got started. In so many of the games that we've witnessed with Albion this season, the start to the Blackburn game spring to mind, and the performance against Sheffield United, where Albion are just so fast out the blocks. I think we've used that phrase so many times on this podcast, but Albion kind of burst onto the scene, and there's just this sustained pressure. Whereas Millwall came and Gary Rowett uh, had this plan to kind of seemingly give away innocuous little fouls and the referee on the day seemed to be very willing to blow his whistle. But ultimately, it ended up in there being no real momentum in the game. It felt like every 15, 20 seconds, there was some sort of stoppage, whether that be the ball going dead or a foul being given. One all, probably a, a fair result. But what did you guys make of the game?
2: I think you're right. I think basically we cancelled each other out. There was no momentum for either team. I thought we might get going after the Bartley goal. I thought that might be the catalyst to us scoring another couple. Missing the penalty just before half-time. Maybe put a dampener on it for the Albion players. It wasn't a great penalty. It was at the height for a goalkeeper. Goalkeeper had still have to save it, so may not have been a penalty from what I saw. It was a bit of a weak one, but we got it. Yeah, I just think it was just one of those games. You know, cancel each other out. We're going to have those over the season where we're not happy with the result, but teams come up and play a great game against us.
1: Looking at the highlights after the game, Millwall looked like they had some very good chances, but so did we, you know, with the penalty. And I just think it's going to be a familiar tale, really, until we start adapting to teams parking the bus or trying to frustrate us, waste time or, you know, try and kick our players It looked like a fair result on the day, but these are the games that we should be winning. If Sam
0: Johnson was a spectator in the derby game, he was very much an active participant in the Millwall game. He really did pull off some really top draw says that kept us in this one i think for me one of the more interesting things about it was obviously if carlin grant scores and by rights i feel like with a penalty i think i don't know what the statistics are exactly but i think when you get a penalty your xg goes up by 0.75 which basically means there's a 75 percent chance of scoring a penalty that means doesn't it that's interesting i didn't know that Well, this is the level of mathematics and statistical bits and pieces we'd like to bring to the podcast. But for me, that means on paper, we we should have won the Millwall match, but we ended up drawing. But then I think by rights, we probably should have ended up drawing the Peterborough match and ended up winning that. So I think across those two games, these results, the four points from those two performances seems about fair. To come on to the penalty, I think it was soft. But Dean Garner, with a beautiful bit of skill to work the position that he gets into to kind of draw the foul. And I think that's a skill in itself. I have to say, I'm I'm after very critical of Dean Garner and even against Derby, there were elements of his game that I just find so frustrating. But I think the frustration is born out of understanding just how great his ceiling is. His potential is just so high. And you see glimpses of it every now and again, where he'll draw a player in and then megs them and run around out the outside and suddenly be on the byline in this impossibly dangerous position. You're like, how did he get there? How? Where was the space that he wriggled through to get into that position? And another moment, he'll have the ball and run into the person or just give it away. And it's this coin flip style of play where it could go in either direction at any point. Kind of makes him a very frustrating player. He's exciting, but you just don't know what's going to happen. You can't expect anything of when the ball's at his feet other than something relatively haphazard but then the penalty itself I think you can be critical at Carlin Grant fair play for stepping up to take it it takes an awful lot of bravery to take a penalty I don't know that for certain if it takes that much bravery it's not like he was going over the top on anything but it's certainly in a footballing context is relatively brave especially given the fact that He probably, even this season, isn't running too high on confidence. But it's a really poorly taken penalty, in my opinion. I feel like everything, just watching it back, obviously at the game, it was at the other end of the pitch. So it was difficult for me to kind of see in real time. But watching it back afterwards, I feel like he telegraphs where he's going. And then it's at that perfect height where the keeper only really needs to kind of fall to the side. And it's you're almost shooting it at the keeper you know those um like if you go to the seaside and there's those games where you've got to like shoot it through the holes and you, and you win a t-shirt or something like that and they've got like a keeper that moves backwards and forwards that mechanical seaside goalkeeper would have saved carlin grant's penalty
1: is that too harsh no I think it's perfectly uh, reasonable. <laughs> Thank you, Alex, for your validation.
2: In the last two games, we've made substitutes on the half time, which is very unusual to make substitutes unless it's forced through injury or fatigue or anything like that. But the last three games, we've made changes at halftime. So just to go back to that thing about Val, he's trying to be progressive. He's trying to change it. Obviously, it hasn't been working in those first halves. So many times we've been through managers in the past, and we think, you need to make the change now. You need to make the change now. And it's always too late. They put him on at 70 minutes, 75 minutes. And I think Val is very brave in making those changes straight away at half time because, obviously, you can get injuries and stuff like that. I know we only brought Hugo on at halftime at Millwall. He took up Dean Garner, which... I know Joe Massey was a bit perplexed And Mr Hatfield as well Saying he was the only one really Unlocking the Millwall defence I think that's just a brave move from Mr Val
1: Yeah, it sounds like you've been in my corner Joe, my research <laughs> corner We
2: may not have done all that You'd have to have a look up But I don't think people are going to go back into the past And look
1: up substitutes So, so we can rewrite history on this uh, podcast <laughs> We <can>. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was an unscheduled
0: trip to Alex's Research and Wikipedia Corner featuring Joe. So, kind of to wrap up our conversation here about the Millwall game, got to say, really good header from Kyle Bartley. So well done to him. Our defence, our defenders are proving to be a real goal threat this season. That's all of them now, apart from maybe Matt Clark, who's been involved in goal mouth incidents. But Semi Ajayi, Dar and Kyle Bartley have all nabbed themselves a goal. It's Two points from two games that most people thought we would get six points out of. We certainly predicted on this podcast that it would be not just six points, but fairly comfortable. And then obviously with Fulham and teams around us dropping points, it does feel like a bit of an opportunity miss to put some distance in between us and the closing pack. It's got a very crowded scene at the top of the championship now with a lot of teams in and around the same amount of points as us. We're being positive here, obviously, and everyone's relaxed still. And, you know, if your candle's running low, go and light a new one and everything's snugly and cozy. But have these two games been a little bit of a missed opportunity in your boy's eyes, your boy's eyes, and your man's eyes?
2: I think they are missed opportunities. I think we could have easily snatched a couple of them, especially the derby game. Obviously, we've discussed how many shots we had and shots on target, but nothing to get too negative about. We've not lost.
1: I think it will be a bit of a learning curve. I think it's it's one of those, like, yeah, points dropped. We should have got more points, but at the end of the day, we're still unbeaten. I still think we've got the intensity as well. We showed that in the second half against Derby. We've still got players to bed in. I'm not worried at this stage. I just think it's early teething problems, I guess, you can call it that. Yeah, it does only feel like a little bit of a blip. Again, it was frustrating, but as you rightly
0: say, we're unbeaten. One of only two teams that are unbeaten in the whole league just us and Bournemouth. Everyone else has dropped points. I mean, Fulham had that crazy result against Blackpool the other day. So it shows that no one is truly invincible. And I think. Alex, the phrase you used early, which I think is kind of nailed done is we're victims of our own success. A couple of the results and the performances at the start of this season have kind of set such a high bar that when you have a game like the Derby game, where realistically, if that game's played over and over again, more often than not, we do find the breakthrough, or their goalkeeper doesn't quite get to his fingertips to one of those shots. And I think we go on to win that game fairly comfortably. And on another day, it could have been quite easy, like the Sheffield United game, where we're four or five goals up. If we keep having 20 plus shots a game, we're going to score goals they can't all fall to Darnell Furlong <laughs> and sometimes on some occasions they will fall to other players as well and I think more than likely Val and his team are looking at all of this now and thinking what's plan B if teams are getting rid of the ball quickly and there's no opportunity to press how are we going to stylistically change in such a way that we're able to still be aggressive and progressive and I think we saw glimpses of that we've got players that are technically capable of fast interchanging play on the ground it doesn't always have to be long ball into the channels we can move the ball with speed through most of these teams and I think so long as we're versatile in our approach we're still going to be there or thereabouts come the end of the season it might not be 107 points as we predicted last week but it's certainly going to be enough to see us comfortably promoted in my opinion so that wraps up our post-match recap if you were disappointed by those two results don't panic we're going to enter into a segment in the podcast which is gonna bring soothing, calming, radiating waves of positivity towards you now. Um, So just get yourself acclimatized, take a few deep breaths, and we're gonna look at some reassuring realities, different statistics and facts that are true about this season, and should reassure you if you're panicked and feeling worried about what you saw over the last couple of games, These are all statistics and factoids that we've pulled from various different parts of the interweb. Joe, would you like to kick us off?
2: I would. So everyone needs to be a bit more positive and reassured by the past three seasons we've been in the championship. Darren Moore, in his first seven games, he had 11 points. We got into the playoffs that season. Slaven Village the season we got promoted after seven games he got 13 points and we went up second and this season Valerian Ishmael has got 15 points after seven games. so it does show you that maybe we are overreacting on this uh, you know these last few games so go to bed being reassured that after seven games we've got the highest points we've had. In the last three seasons, we've been in the championship and two of those seasons, we've got into thereabouts, getting promoted, playoffs, and actually getting promoted.
0: Well, Joe, I feel much calmer in my spirit and soul right now in this peaceful environment, this cave of calm. Alex, do you have anything that might help our listeners drift off into panicless sleep tonight?
1: Yes. Uh <laughs> Uh, do you want me to say it? <laughs> Please, if you could say uh, uh, We've had the highest shots at 123 in the league. I mean, that's
0: soothing, mate. That is. I can't. I can't deny. It. I feel. I feel total peace, like flooding my uh, body.
1: I've got to admit, I've been luck today. today. I haven't done my research. Joe's obviously been taking over in my corner, hijacking it.
0: We're going to take a visit to Joe's pirated research and statistics corner joe according Hi. to fb ref <laughs> apart from alex's beautiful statistic that what was your statistic again now Al? with all the enthusiasm you mustered last time
1: so i understand that we've had 123 shots this season which is the highest in the world in the universe. <laughs> Well, if you add the distance of each of the shots that each of the shots were taken from, it, it turns out to be the hoist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? I thought, you know what he's going to say then? I thought he's going to say, if you added the distance of every single shot that Albion have taken this season, you could go to the moon and back. It, all it says here is high shots, 123,
1: 123. Yeah. No, I think
0: it is. I don't think it's like how, like, the verticality of our shots, like, if you added them all together, it's like the Empire State Building. I think that's what they're getting at. <laughs> this is, all these statistics are taken from FB Ref. Hopefully by the end of this season, we'll be, like, hitting Everest, the peak of Everest. Yeah. Right, Joe, Pirate Joe, Captain Joe.
2: Yeah, uh, um, just to, again, to reassure you from the Pirate Corner, i um, we have the highest shots per 90 minutes, so I'm guessing over the season, if we keep that up, we're going to score more goals. And to add to that, we've got the second highest shots on target, so we are going to score more goals. That XG is going to be high, go to bed reassured, we will score goals. And we don't concede, we've got good defenders, we've got a great goalkeeper, you know, he's uh, England's number two, um, so we will. We will score more goals than we concede and we'll win more games than we lose.
0: Alex, can you just clarify what heights are we talking here? Is there anything that listeners can get a scale of the heights that we're achieving here?
1: Yeah, of course. So, 123 metres, that's quite big. That's like, uh, I think, a house, probably about 20 metres. So, you could imagine six houses on top of each other. Is
2: this... Because we're the highest
0: uh, stadium above uh, sea level. Is this why we've got the highest shots? You know what? I, I love how often that statistic is referenced. There's oh, never yeah. been a statistic based on the altitude of a football club stadium more used than ours. They mention it like there's some sort of phenomenon attached to it. I don't know if it's like the, the air is thinner because we're so high up and there's like less oxygen and it's some sort of like advantage to play at home. But I don't know. Anything else that we can reassure our more anxious listeners here today?
1: I just want to clarify that houses are usually, <laughs> the floor is three meters high. So you're probably talking about 10 meters. So I was incorrect to say 20. So if you can imagine 10 houses on top of each other, well, you know, 12. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely don't do maths, do we?
0: Anything beyond kind of the height of people's domiciles to kind of reassure them?
2: That uh, O'Shea has had his operation and he will be coming back as soon as possible. I think that's very reassuring for people to go to sleep to. And his photo, which he posted on uh, social media, I think it was on Instagram, he looked happy, he looked, you know, a warrior as he is.
0: So what you're telling me is that the meltdown that was happening on social media was slightly premature.
2: Yeah, and also Clark is coming back. They think he might be
1: back earlier than the,
2: the medical staff are doing well. The
1: fountain of youth. The
2: fountain of youth. Is that what, is that what they're injecting into?
1: Plastic surgery,
2: Lord. Can't change Clark's face. <laughs> it's too beaten up from all the walls. <laughs> <and smoking. laughs>
0: I just offer one final piece of reassurance that I feel that Valerian Ishmael has earned himself a little bit of rope. We saw from the very start of the season that he's an exciting attacking manager, and I think although the last two performances, maybe even three, have been a little bit dull and a little bit mediocre in some parts, I think in Val we trust, and he will find a way to get us all excited and dreamy-eyed about Valball once more again. Right, let's go on to our match preview. We have a game coming up this Saturday against Preston at Deepdale. Good stadium name, Deepdale. I like Deepdale. You know when you hear some stadium names and they've got like a sponsor or stuff, I know that's not like a hot take, but Deepdale, great stadium name.
1: Yeah, nickname the Lily whites as well, Preston.
0: The Hawthorns is a good name for a stadium though as well. Preston are currently sat 13th in the table. Played seven games, one, two, drawn, two, three losses. <laughs> Eight goals for, ten goals against and minus two goal difference. Um <laughs> What are the notable things about this game that are standing out to you? <laughs>
1: there's a few there's a few like players that used to play for the Albion that play for Preston. So we've got Scott Sinclair. I always thought he could have done better. He was quite a good player. Like he was a victim of injuries. Also, Izzy Brown plays for him. Unfortunately, he was injured at the start of the season. So he's out for eight months. Well, he was out for eight months at the start of the season, I believe.
0: I think Preston are going to play very similarly to the way that Millwall and... Derby have both played. I think it's going to be another test for the Albion. I think perhaps we got a little bit overexcited regarding our predictions for the other two games and I do think that we've kind of had a little bit of a reset on what we're going to be predicting more after than not but Al, how many multiples of three are Albion going to win by against Preston this weekend? I'm going to say 1-0 to the Albion. Joe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah?
2: I'm going to go 5-0. I think we're going to get it back on.
1: Can I just say, I'd really like Ishmael to play Hugo against Preston. If we're playing from the start, I think, you know, he could open up what's likely to be a a tough defence to open up. Yeah, I really agree with that, to be
0: fair. I'd be curious to see how Hugo starts the game. The only anxiety I have about that is in case he's one of these impact players that comes on and maybe across 90 minutes, he might not be able to do that. And then it would kind of dispel all of this hope and positivity that surrounds Jordan Hugo. I think for me, I'm going to predict that Albion win 3-0. There's something interesting that I saw in the press that Adam Reach said, I think it was to Joe Massey, uh, when he interviewed him at the end of the derby game, said that Ishmael had told the players at halftime to be more composed and not to get the ball up field as quick as we are, so almost this, as Alex keeps saying, this adaptation to kind of retain possession and not just hoof it forward. Maybe we'll see a little bit more of a possession-based game, and we'll have not just defender scoring. That's my prediction. Will Dean Garner get his goal this week? Actually, I think he might.
2: He's going to get your one goal. He's going to get my uh, five goals.
0: <laughs> oh, five. And quick question here just a little bit of preston trivia fun who is older this could be one of our new game shows who's older Scott Sinclair or Jake Livermore Scott Sinclair Alex. Yeah Scott Sinclair by one year how old do you think I'm... Scott Sinclair is then how oh. I think 32. he's Alex is a Wikipedia age genius. Scott Sinclair is 32 years old, and he is one year older than Jake Livermore. Alex, you are a savant, and I feel blessed to be in your presence. The pleasure's all mine. Right. Anything else to be said?
2: Nope.
0: No. Nope. Good. That's great. That's how we always like to leave it here at the Hawthorne's debate. So calm, relaxing, soothed, statistic-filled, positivity to the very end and so all that remains for me to say is a big thank you to Alex cheers a big thank you to Joe cheers thank you for listening to the Hawthorne's Bake Club this week and we will see you next week sweet dreams
1: sweet dreams are made of